Welcome to the Torah Journey Podcast. My name is Rabbi Ken Brodkin, and I've been a community rabbi for over 15 years. During that time, I've learned that the wisdom of Judaism is powerful, but it's not always easy to understand. Our weekly podcast will enrich your journey and give you practical advice about how to apply the wisdom of Judaism to your life. We'll offer you insights based on the Parsha, current events, the Jewish year, and more. This is the Torah Journey Podcast. Welcome back. I hope that you are having a great week. I've been thinking a lot lately about conspiracy. Conspiracy is always lurking under the landscape of politics, from the assassination of Lincoln to Kennedy. People are attracted to conspiracy theories. Lately, this phenomenon has become more alarming. According to an online poll from Ipsos, 15% of Americans recently agreed that the government, media, and financial worlds are controlled by Satan-worshipping pedophiles. Russell Moore is an evangelical theologian. He was recently quoted by the Wall Street Journal saying that he talks every day with pastors who are exhausted by conspiracist theories about the government going through their churches. Now, needless to say, this is not only happening in the Christian world. Several months ago, I was having a conversation with a congregant about a certain conspiracy theory, and when I quoted several reputable sources citing the lack of evidence for her claim, she turned to me and said, Rabbi, don't you know those outlets are part of the conspiracy? What's happening in our world, and why are people attracted to conspiracy theory? There is no question that we're living in a time of great social upheaval. Just take the lockdowns from this past year. That was a massive upheaval with deep implications for our society. Or consider sweeping changes to how society relates to issues as basic as gender. In 2015, our local state of Oregon passed a law permitting minors 15 and older to obtain puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones, and surgeries all without parental consent. That's a pretty dramatic change. Newton's third law is that every action has an equal and opposite reaction. And if there's major social change, there will be major social reactions, even if they're not apparent at first. And then, of course, there's the internet, where social media algorithms bunch like-minded people together. So much is happening that makes our world ripe for conspiracy theory. As Jews, we appreciate that conspiracy-based ideas that lack evidence are deeply problematic. But what guidance does the Torah give to us as we navigate this complex world where people no longer agree on basic facts? In today's Torah Journey podcast, we're going to discover that the Torah offers a timely perspective on the topic of conspiracy. There are critical and pertinent questions here like, who should we follow or believe? And as we examine this topic, we'll come to a better understanding of how to develop our worldviews as Jews of the Torah. Life is tough when we look at the complex, changing landscape of our world. Sometimes the idea of a conspiracy can be comforting. If societal changes are troubling, a conspiracy theory suggests it's not really happening in a legitimate way. The problems are a result of a conspiracy, and they might just get swept away. That description of the world just might be the best way to describe the rebellion of Korach. The spy mission had recently failed, and the Jewish people were consigned to have their carcasses fall in the, in the wilderness. Consider the upheaval this generation has been through. As Dustin and Aviram tell Moshe, Is it not enough that you've brought us up from a land flowing with milk and honey to cause us to die in the wilderness? Aflo el eretz of Aschal of Adavash 
You have not brought us to a land flowing with milk and honey, nor have you given us a heritage of field and vineyard. In other words, the situation of the Jewish people has arguably gotten worse since leaving Egypt. Is it any wonder that Korach presents the conclusion that this is a conspiracy? Korach puts forward a pretty sophisticated view of the world. The entire assembly is holy. We've all heard God speak at Sinai, but this one family is ruling all over us. Most of his cronies aren't legitimate, Korach says. And in truth, Korach's argument touches a deep nerve. There's plenty of people out there who question our traditions or our rabbinic leaders. Just a few minutes ago, I saw someone on Twitter casting aspersions on the rabbis. Maybe the whole Torah is an illegitimate conspiracy, we could wonder. And as we ponder this, we need to consider... Where was Korach actually coming from? And Rashi points to Korach's jealousy over the appointment of Elitzafen ben Uziel as a Nazi, as a prince, as being the source of Korach's rebellion. Korach's philosophy was actually a facade for his underlying jealousy. But the people in his generation didn't have a chumash with Rashi's commentary. And given how put together Korach was in his PowerPoint presentation, how are the Jewish people supposed to know that Korach was a jealous fake? Well, whatever the answer, the Jewish people were accountable for their association with Korach. The Torah accounts the Almighty's response to the scene of Korach and Bnei Israel looking on. And Hashem has spoken to Moshe and Aaron, saying, Separate from the assembly, and I shall destroy them in an instant. Destroy them in an instant. That's a pretty serious crime the Jewish people are implicated in. Moshe protests, shall one person sin and the entire assembly is punished? Moshe's argument seems reasonable. Why does God suggest that all of Israel should be wiped away? The Ramban, Nachmanides, writes in his commentary that when Korach made his protest, he informed the Jewish people that he was seeking to redress their honor. Korach managed to gather the whole assembly to witness his Ketoris offering to see if God would accept him, Korach. This very matter, says the Ramban, is the heart of the sin. The very fact that the Jewish people cut off their couches to see who would win was second-guessing Moshe, who led the people through the Yamsuf, and by extension, second-guessing Hashem. And in the height of this controversy, Moshe prays to Hashem, turning to God, exclaiming, do not turn to their mincha sacrifice. I have not taken a single donkey from them. Rashi comments that Moshe traveled on his very own donkey when he went from Midian to Egypt to eventually lead the Jewish people to redemption. Our Haftorah as well presents another leader, Shmuel the prophet, hundreds of years later, who drew upon Moshe's language. Standing before the Jewish people at the end of his reign, Shmuel proclaimed, I have not taken one donkey from the people. The people then affirmed that indeed Shmuel gained nothing from his personal position. A number of years ago, I read about a politician who used his campaign fund for a $400 haircut. Sometimes people dip into their campaign funds for personal or frivolous frivolous expenses. On the other hand, Rav Banish Finkel served as the head of the Mir Yeshiva in Jerusalem before his passing in 1990. And when he traveled from Israel to America to raise funds to support the Yeshiva, he would use his own funds to pay for his plane tickets. Why didn't he pay for his tickets? 
with the yeshiva funds. He didn't want to do something that could even lead to a mistaken thought that he was benefiting personally from the yeshiva. Now, Karach wrongly believed that Moshe was motivated by something personal. And in reality, from the first moment that Moshe went out amongst his brethren, he was devoted to the needs of the people dis- distressed by their burdens. When Karach challenged him, Moshe didn't fall on his face and ask to remain in power. He fell on his face and begged Hashem that the Jewish people should live. His sole concern was the well-being of his brethren, and he didn't take so much as one donkey to get the job done. And all of this gets to the heart of Korach's claim against Moshe. Korach's claim had zero basis in reality, and that's why the Jewish people were taken to task. It's not that we're supposed to have blind faith in Moshe, but we're also supposed to look at reality for what it is. And that also gets to one of the critical challenges with a conspiracy theory. When people say something, the very fact that they say it gives it a degree of legitimacy. Just this past week, locally here, a student government body at the University of Oregon came out with an anti-Semitic statement. On their Instagram account, they claimed that Israel is guilty of genocide amongst a litany of other atrocities. Never mind this literally has zero basis in reality. It's just part of a whole world where words spoken or posted give a facade of legitimacy. Why were the people liable in Korach's time? There's a temptation in life where someone says something very far out, and the very fact that they say it gives it legitimacy. Korach said that Moshe was a crook. It was totally false. But the fact that he said it made it seem real. When there is a basis, a baseless accusation, there's no mitzvah to say, oh, Moshe's a crook? That's an interesting theory. Let's see how this turns out. It was misguided for the Jewish people to congregate, looking to see if Korach might be right. Israel easily could have seen Korach's folly, were they not caught up in the emotion of the moment. And so when we think about more modern conversations in our world, we can't give in to the temptation to think that words are true or somewhat legitimate just because they're spoken. And on a similar line, we need to avoid that mob mentality. The tactic of using emotion to stir crowds of people was critical to what Korach achieved before he was swallowed by the earth. As Rashi points out, Dustin and Aviram were part of the rebellion because their section of the tribe of Ruvain was geographically located right next to Korach. And this idea has an interesting modern meaning. We can get carried away with the opinions of people that we are near or next to, so to speak, in the social media networks. Needless to say, we've got to watch over ourselves and our opinions. But there's another factor at play here. Rashi teaches us that the roots of Korach's views were his poor character traits. And while the root of Korach was rotten, the roots of Aaron were ripe and fresh. When the staffs of the respective tribes were placed in the Yoel Moed, the tent of meeting, Moshe found that Vihine parach mate Aaron, viyotse parach viyotse tzitz kedim. Behold, the staff of Aaron of the house of Levi had blossomed. It brought forth a blossom, sprouted a bud, and almonds ripened. If the rot of Korach led to his removal from the world, the root of Aaron caused his buds to sprout. The scene where the staff of Aaron blossomed is a demonstration of those pure roots. 
While Korach was motivated by jealousy, Aaron walked in the ways of Hashem. When his brother Moshe was given a, an appointment greater than himself, Aaron rejoiced in his heart. And the Navi, the prophet Malachi, testifies that Aaron walked with me, b'shalom of Meshor, in peace and in uprightness. There's so much complexity in our world. How do we know whom to follow in life? How do we discern between what's real and what's fake? There are several answers. On one level, we simply need to listen to what's being said. The fact that people are saying it does not give it legitimacy. But then there's the issue of who is talking. Not only did Moshe and Aaron have a great track record, but they had beautiful and perfected human attributes as they walked in the ways of Hashem. When we look at sources of information, that's a vital thing to consider. Who are the people that are advancing the ideas and information? What kind of character traits do they have? The Torah teaches us, What is God, what does Hashem your God ask of you other than, other than to fear Hashem your God, to walk in all of His ways, to love Him and to serve Hashem your God with all your heart and all your soul? The attributes of a person directly impact their vision and their views. For example, I know an individual in our community that I have fairly different views on politics from them, and yet this person happens to have a tremendous amount of integrity and humility as well as developed opinions, and given how much I respect their morals, their opinion really does matter to me. On the other hand, I would be suspect of someone's views if they exhibit an inferior moral character. Back in the 1860s, there were plenty of people who accused Abraham Lincoln and his time of being the most evil man alive, either sending men to their slaughter or lording over the southern states. The amazing thing is that when you study his actual life, he had an impeccable moral character. And that's true for our nation's life as well. The Jewish people have a great inheritance. From Moshe Rabbeinu to the Rambam to Moshe Feinstein, our inheritance has been transmitted by people of the highest moral caliber. So where do we look for guidance in a complex changing world? The answer is that we go back to the image of the staff of Aaron. As King David says, like trees planted by rivulets of water, the fruit of tzaddikim is quick to ripen. So when you're looking for guidance in a complex world, remember this, the word of God flourishes in the mouth of the righteous.